Welcome to the Generous Business Owner Podcast, where business owners gain inspiration and encouragement to live a legacy, not just leave one. And now your hosts, Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt. Welcome, everybody, to the Generous Business Owner Podcast. My name is Jeff Thomas, and I've got uh, one of my co-hosts with me today, Jeff Rutt. Say hello, Jeff. Hey, everybody. And uh, we do have a very special guest with us this week, Terry Looper. Terry is the CEO and founder of Texon LP, a midstream energy company based in Houston. He's also the author of one of my favorite books called Sacred Pace, and the subtitle is Four Steps to Hearing God and Aligning Yourself with His Will, which is a very hot topic on how do I hear from God on what I'm supposed to do and make decisions, especially this being a business owner podcast in business and in your personal life. But we're going to get into all that. Terry, welcome to the program. Thank you. I look forward to it. Well, this is going to be fun. So Terry and I have known each other for a long time. We're both based in Houston. Terry, frankly, has been a mentor of mine for many years. So I'm very excited about this episode and asking a lot of questions. But Jeff Rutt also knows Terry a little bit from their involvement with Hope. Uh, so I'm going to let uh, Jeff kick off the questions. Yeah. Thank you, Terry, for being on the podcast with us today. And thank you for being a friend in so many different ways to Peter Greer, president of Hope, and just a, a partner in impacting lives around the world in uh, so many ways for so many years. Thank you for being here today. Wanted to just kick us off by, yeah, tell us a little bit about your childhood, where you grow up, a little bit about your family, the influence uh, that had and how it uh, you know, kind of directed your life. Sure. Well, I grew up in Texas City, which is near Galveston, Texas, which is just south of Houston. It's an industrial town, and my dad and my mother worked in industry down there, separate companies. I ended up dating and marrying my high school sweetheart, so we've been married an awful long time. But so, you know, the high school and all that early childhood was pretty normal. As I looked back, I knew at the time, but it is I was uh, probably my weakest part about me as a leader in high school. And then and even college was my people pleasing. It was so extreme that it it limited my ability to be a good leader. And uh, eventually, you know, the Lord helped me deal with that. But so that was probably. You know, I played baseball and stuff like that in high school. But and then I went off to school, majored in engineering. Today I'm married with that high school sweetheart. I've got two adult daughters with uh, married and five five grandkids that are half of them are adults. We got one that's graduated from college, two in college, and two in high school. So it's been a real joy for me, for my wife and me. That's awesome. Talk a little bit about, uh, more about your time in school and your early career. Well, you know, I majored in engineering, but because I was kind of good in math and science, but I, anything but a structured, detailed person. So I majored <laughs> in kind of engineering as a conceptual idea to get into consulting or marketing or peddling, as I said, and as I used to say. But anyway, so I got out and started out as an engineer and got out of that as soon as I could into uh, sales training at Monsanto Chemical Company. And okay. they moved me around 
once I got into sales, they moved me around, moved me to the home office in the West Coast and back to Houston. And then I quit and went to work for a, a small energy marketing company. And uh, we just started from scratch. I mean, I was, I mean, I, it, we, I would, I earned sweat equity in the okay. company, but I was kind of started it with the, with the guy that had the capital and, and uh, knowledge and all that. So we uh, had fun together. Yeah. It was a good company, except that I uh, tried way too hard. Right. Okay. Yeah, but it was good. So, so how, what age, how old were you at that time? I was 31. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So leading up to that, just take a step back, talk a little bit about spiritual formation, influence sure. Sure. in your life from your family, from schooling. Yeah. No. Yeah. My parents used to take me to a Baptist church in Texas City. They seldom went. They dropped me off. And then I was that Southern boy that was supposed to, you know, be good, be nice. That was my image. And so I went to youth group stuff, was baptized when I was eight with my parents present. Then my wife went to Church of Christ all the time. Her family pretty much in the church all the time. So once I started dating her, I would go to their church. And, you know, I didn't know any better. I thought I was a Christian, and but it was more of the Southern style of the cultural thing to do. And uh, so that, you know, that. but once we married, we went to church. And once we had kids, we stayed taken to church. I didn't really go to church in college, really. And then, um, and as we moved around, we just joined a new church and thought it was really important to, you know, go on Sundays, mm-hmm. part of that tradition, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have a feeling we'll hear more about that journey. Tell us a little bit about, you started you started a business. Sounds like you had a couple things going there with your engineering track. Tell us about a time where God stopped you in your tracks. Well, where he stopped me, the most significant time in my life is when I helped, once I got help that uh, energy midstream company, I started getting dizzy and um, a couple years in, maybe even sooner than that, and I went to the doctor and asking what was going on. He said, well, you're stressed and that's why you're getting dizzy. I said, well, I've never heard of that. And said, why don't you give me some kind of pill to mask it? And he said, no, he wouldn't do that. And I went, oh, well, that's a surprise. But anyway, I could function in this dizziness. It wasn't like vertigo and I, I could function. But as time marched on, the stress level was very severe, partly because I was chasing my false god money. First time with Oh, part owner, whatever, sky's the limit, make all you can grab. And uh, so the stress level was pretty intense. And then as that dizziness, as fogginess became somewhat fogginess and then got to where I couldn't make big decisions at the company. And then eventually I couldn't make even small decisions and I actually started hiding the fact that I couldn't make decisions. And then on a Saturday morning, I was home with my wife and my daughters. And I assumed I had a nervous breakdown, but as it turns out, in retrospect, I had burnout. My brain just quit functioning. I mean, I knew where I was. I knew who I was with, but it, it just didn't want to engage in anything around making decision or whatever. So my wife helped me get to the bedroom, 
she left me alone, and I said, basically, start crying. So I, because I thought I'd lost my mind and my most prized possession, really, unfortunately, probably more so than my wife and my kids. And so I got on my knees and just said, Lord, please take control of my life. I clearly lost it and hope to get back some form of normalcy. So I didn't know it at the time, but I was born again. And the reason I didn't know I was born again is I was a deacon getting ready to be ordained as an elder. I prayed. I believed in Jesus. I believed in God. And but in retrospect, I just was I had the faith. My analogy is I had the faith of a six-year-old with Santa Claus. I mean, you know, they really believe in Santa Claus. And but you know, if they're middle class or better, they kind of get what they want. So that was kind of my role. I kind of had it backwards with the Lord, me asking Him, you know, telling telling what I wanted. And then out of that burnout, I learned in therapy. I did a bunch of therapy and. And we sold the company, and I caught my false god, which kind of, uh, at the time, being from a small town engineer, you know, kind of thing, that was that was a lot of money to me at the time. So, so that was probably the biggest reason, and the people pleasing, as I mentioned earlier, was huge. So, well, I mean, I think this is one of the things that we love, and we talked about a little before we started recording today. Is you know we have a lot of successful people on this podcast, but, you know, nobody goes straight up and to the right. And so I, I really appreciate your sharing that, uh, that story and, and being vulnerable about that. I think it makes it so appealing. And, and I'll remember first time I heard you speak, golly, long, long time ago, you know, you were talking about how, you know, you didn't set goals at the company and that sort of thing. And I could tell that you thought differently from most business people that, it seems to me like a lot of that different thinking, the catalyst was that, as you call it, burnout. You know, that it, I'm just just knowing you and hearing this story before. I know you tell it like you were running really hard. Like, I think I think there are people listening to this right now, walking down the street, that are just married to their job. I think, you know, I've been there and, uh, and I'm still recovering. I mean, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm probably still there, to be honest. So it really speaks to me where, and God, I think, uses us so uniquely. Each story is so unique. It seems to me, and don't let me project this, do you think that God stopped you in your tracks because that was really the only way he could get your attention? Yeah, absolutely. I I have since developed a theory that he uses pain as one of, your, one of his best tools, and it turns out to be a great gift. But in, in that analogy, I say, until the pain of the situation gets greater than the perceived pain to change, you don't do anything. Yeah. Like I could have started therapy, you know, I mean, I could have started going to therapy. I could have given myself over to the Lord, whatever. But the, the my pain was not yet as high and as tense as my perceived pain of what it took to change. I did not want to take do what it took to change. I still was trying to catch my false god, money, whatever. But once the burnout happened, it the it became much greater than perceived pain, the pain the pain I was in. 
So I'm going, or much less, much less, I said it backwards. So that meant, okay, I'm now ready to do something about it because the pain of burnout went off the chart. Well, it's like any recovery, right? right. Any kind of addiction, you didn't have an alcohol problem, you had a work problem. Right. Right? Right. right. A lot of us, I just... I mean, we got all these business owners, you know, trying to be successful, listen to this thing. And we want to be generous too. But, you know, I think that's such a, uh, it's such a common false God for, for business owners to, to get into that. And like you said, you've got to be willing. What is the first step of every 12 step program admitting yeah, a problem yeah. and then try to do so? Well, how did you kind of climb out of this hole? So we talked about a little bit of therapy, that sort of thing, but, but how did you get out of this hole? Well, it wasn't quickly. Yeah. I mean, I started my relationship with the Lord and then I became, then I started a true relationship with my wife, mm. a true relationship with my daughters, which I did not have. Mm. I thought they were first in my life, but, you know, action speaks much louder than words. And so that was just a total BS. I mm. deceived myself. You know, there's an old adage you can't really trust yourself because you want, you want to see what you're going to want to see. And I thought I was a great father. I thought I was a great husband. I thought they had issues, but I thought I was really pretty good at it. And through that burnout therapy, becoming a Christian, I found out I had been a terrible father and husband. So, and for sure, a follower of Christ, I wasn't doing that either. So that was a 180, digging myself out of that hole. And then I had a little money, a lot of money to me at the time, Felt like, and it was back 35 plus years ago. And so I didn't know whether I wanted to be a youth director now that I'm, you know. Yeah, what are you supposed to do now? Right. Yeah, wow, wow. And so it, the hole was dug, the, the sale had happened. So I was just employed and I demoted myself two different levels just because I didn't want to run it anymore. And we sold it to a utility. So anyway, out of that, he eventually convicted me to to start another energy marketing company. And out of that, I said, I have to be convicted to do things different. And then you set up some ground rules for yourself, which I thought was really unique. And I've never heard anybody express it so clearly, but it, it seems to me this is one of the fruits of the benefit of that pain is that you needed the, these specific guidelines. So can you walk us through a few of those? Yeah. Well, the two main ones, and then I developed more, or quite, you know, several lesser ones over the decades actually, but the two main ones is he convicted me if I was going to start and run my own company with my own money, which I never had. And with all my, I was a deal junkie. And so I had to put up some really strict boundaries and be convicted by him that that's what they were. So the first one and foremost, and probably the most significant one in all my time of business is I start, started Texan with my own money at 40 hours a week maximum. That way I thought that, well, the Lord convicted me. I don't necessarily recommend the 40 hour week. I recommend anything the Lord convicts you of to jump off a cliff. Yes. And that was a, that was quite a cliff to jump off. That was dramatic change for you. Oh. What were you, were you working just like nonstop? I mean, twice well, out? The, you know, I wasn't necessarily nonstop away from the house, but the right. problem was I never turned off, I was a deal junkie, I never turned my mind off. Yeah. I never turned my mind off to, and back to my family. 
I was always thinking, and being a huge people pleaser, I was always thinking how to manipulate somebody, how to, you know, how to coerce them, how to sneak up on them and get what I wanted, and it, rather than just being. So it was more mind share than office hours in the office. I think that's important because I sit here thinking about my little device, you know, where I check too many times in the evening. Right. As if there's some email that's going to come at 8 p.m. that's going to need right. to be addressed in three minutes. But exactly. and even this is probably before email is a big deal when you start a oh, tech yeah. but, but still that mind share is still the, it's the same idea, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, you know, I'd promised the, my daughters I'd take them to the movie on Saturday, but the time Saturday came, I was completely exhausted. Actually, oh. I actually thought I was lazy because I had no energy when I was home on the weekends. And it was because there wasn't anything left in me. Yeah. Because of my mind was totally on. Not that I turned it off on the weekend either, but I did somewhat just because it wasn't much left. Just to let your body recover. Yeah. You had to sort of shut it down. And then, okay, so what was the second big rule? 40 hours a week. And then what was the second? And then the other one he convicted me of is to have no metric sales goals. There it is. Yeah. And that's the thing I heard you speak about. And I was like, I got to talk to this guy because at that, when I heard about that probably 15 plus years ago, I literally probably had a spreadsheet with 17 tabs of exactly that. <laughs> and I go, uh-oh. And God kind of pricked my heart on it. So you got to talk a little about that because you well, know, it's in people's minds. You, know, like you, you can too. You can too. You've done a good job of trying to reverse that too. Yeah. I'll minimize it. Yeah. Know? I'm excited for you also. No, he just convicted me that it's a false God. And, uh, you know, hardly anybody I've ever convinced anybody to change, but it's, I've found some really, really good values, business values about it. Also, not besides the fact that I like values. And we ended up becoming the largest private company based on revenue around 2010. In Houston, at $6 billion, became the largest private in Houston with, with the most revenue, which uh, is kind of erotic with no no uh, metric sales goals. Yeah, and, and the thing that I know because I've met a lot of your leadership is the way, talk about the way you think about managing people. I think that plays a lot into it. You know, I mean, everybody's got their own style, and I, right. I'll just speak to mine. I kind of have a philosophy of being a, a consultant with authority. <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, all the majority of the company. So, but I kind of have a consultant of being available, letting them do their thing. And when they need help or I see they need some help, uh, I'll chip in. But I, you know, I don't want them to have sales goals. If I, if they want sales goals and need them for themselves, that's fine. I'm, I say, that's fine. You can have whatever you want, but I'm, I want to be, uh, kind of like a conductor of an orchestra. You know, I'm not going to try to play the violin and all that there there's a time when i have played a violin and so to speak in terms of analogy uh believe me i can't play a violin but so that's kind of my style pretty loose hold my hands kind of open i mean the whole my whole concept that you know now is just holding my hands open up about what's going on in life what's going to open in business and seeing how to surrender the lord and see what he's got in store for the company it's been a unique ride of 34 years almost of, you know, on it. I mean, I could talk about it. It's been just a very, uh, very blessed company and business and culture and 
team. Well, I'm going to maybe have you tell one story that I, I know about that, and I know there's multiple in this, but just to kind of recap some of that, you know, empower, don't control is one of our 12 principles at, at Arcos, and I really got a lot of that from you and that discussion uh, because I remember you telling me, you know, if you just set people loose and, you know, don't incentivize them too much for the 1231 sale that makes the number that maybe, because it almost incentivizes them to be a little manipulative, yeah. you know, but you back it off. You have a good comp plan where they feel empowered to do the thing, you know, use their skills God gave them and encourage them. I just love that. Now, now maybe we shift the focus a little, frankly, we could do a whole podcast on that. That's one of my favorite topics, but, but just in the interest of time, let's, let's move on now. One of the things uh, that you also did here, when, now that you have this sort of newfound relationship, you've got these rules are, are in the company, you've got this new relationship with Christ that's going on, you're kind of a deal guy, and I know I'm probably popping this on you, but I remember a story you've told about like 11th hour on a deal, and maybe you've done this more than once, kind of pulling the plug on a deal when everybody in the room, the paperwork's pretty much done, all of that kind of stuff. Do you mind just telling a little story about kind of, and, and then we can probably get into the book and those principles, but this is, a, I think, a good preview for uh, how you make decisions. Is that enough framing for, for a story? Sure, sure. sure. And, and you're right. I've had more than one, but the, mm -hmm. big one, the big one was we were selling our first really major division at Texan, and because it had gotten too big for us being private and too, pretty risky, due to a lot of hedging we had to do going into gasoline or hurricane season. So anyway, we were selling to, uh, we got our bids of, of companies and one party who had the most, was going to pay the most backed out. So the second party, big public company, wanted to buy it. And so we, we were going to do that with them. And our largest customers said, did not want us to sell to that company because it's their largest competitor and they didn't want to be at the largest vendor. And so I prayed about it and they had been a good loyal uh, customer, our largest. And I, against my management team, my board and, and my investment banker, I chose to honor them. And, uh, the large public company CEO said, well, that's your anchor customer. So we probably won't do the deal. And I really, really wanted to do the deal. And, uh, I said, well, that, that's that I got conviction uh, to do that, and that's what I'm going to do. And the deal eventually happened. It, it made a little messy, but it happened, and I ended up being blessed, and everyone was blessed over that. Well, but I think, to me, one of the important, there's so many things in that story where you've given up control. And I, to me, this is the whole thing is like, to me, the story is you giving up control. Right, right. And, uh, and I think a lot of us, have wrestled are wrestling with that and so i just picturing this room where all the lawyers the bankers i mean all the documents are done and you're like i'm just i had a meeting with the actual owner upstairs aka god and i'm not supposed to do it so i'm shutting it down regardless of what everybody else says there's sort of one owner ultimately and uh and you do what it says and then it tends to work out is the point. And even if it didn't work out financially, maybe there was something else that would have happened. I think this in particular worked out. But I think to me, what that also did was you were kind of a witness to everybody else, the employees, the vendors, the bankers, the 
all of that kind of stuff. And so to me, this kind of ties with the goal setting thing, the lack of goal setting, which is, I mean, even when I had all my spreadsheets, it never happened the way I drew it up anyway. So I don't know why I was so married to these spreadsheets. You know what I mean? I do. I do. So it's just like the release of control, I think, is a big deal. And and I think that segues beautifully into this book. I told I tell people that I really carry three books in my trunk at all times, if if at all possible. Halftime, my own book, Trading Up, and then I and, and then your book, Sacred Pace, because you know we often get into these discussions about how do you make decisions. Okay, great, I'm a price follower. Now, how do you actually make decisions? Just like that vignette that you gave us in a big deal, a lot of pressure around it. It, and you go with what God tells you, even if it is uncomfortable for sort of everyone around you at the moment. You wrote this book, Sacred Pace. What was the impetus for that? And do you mind kind of taking us through briefly those four steps? Sure. And, and, and I, I want to add one thing to what I said a while ago. I was, yeah. I was visiting with a young lady about, I think she was 26. At Actually, it was, um, no, it was a practice event where I was speaking. And she was at my table, and I, I guess I told that big, that story you just said. And I got, I sat down. She said, "Well, easy for you, uh, Mr. Looper. You're, you know, you, you own the company." And, yeah, yeah. And and I said, "Well, let me ask you this: Have you ever had conviction in a business meeting with your bosses?" And she said, "Well, yeah, actually, I have." I said, "Let me guess. They went your way, didn't they?" Mm. She said, "Well, actually, they did." I said, mm. "I'm telling you, conviction sells." When you have conviction, especially if it's from the Lord, I mean, even, even conviction without the Lord has great impact, but with the Lord, it's amazing impact. Then she kind of said, well, yeah, you're right. They went with me. I said, don't ever underestimate the power of conviction, especially when it's from the Lord. So with that, I just wanted to pass that on because I did have control, if you will, of being able to say no to all those people. And not everybody on the podcast has that kind of control. Mm. So what I've learned through the process of dying, uh, of, of deciding to jump off the cliff and, and do 40 hours a week and those sales metric sales goals, he, over 20 years, he started teaching me this process that eventually, after about 20 five years, I decided to write a book about it due to various reasons. It's it, for sure never planned on writing a book. But th the process in the name of the book is called Sacred Pace. And, and he, he taught me a way to discern his will that was not easy, but it was simple. And, it, you know, you kind of have to decide if you're going to want to do somebody else's will and not your own, meaning God, you kind of have to decide why, you know, why am I willing to relinquish what I want for what appears that he wants or wants to bless me with, as it always seems to turn out for me. And so for me, and everybody's got to sound on that. Mine was, and you got to get it from your head to your heart is critical. You got to get to where you really, really, really mean it is God sees the future. God knows best, and I seldom do, but often think I do. And then lastly, he loves me and everybody around me unconditionally and a thousand times more than, than I can. And so why would I not do his will if he's all-loving and all-knowing? Pride, greed, fear, 
I love that. I always quote you on the way I say it, kind of what I've heard yeah. me state it is. So if you got the author of the universe right. as your business partner, wouldn't you ask him for advice? <laughs> I mean, I just, it just sort of restates it. It's like so obvious. Like why, why am I trying to figure this out on my own? Why wouldn't I ask the greatest source of wisdom available? Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, uh, somebody just sent me a little version, different version of what I am, yeah. but, but the, the key to, to it is, it, so I've got four steps or he put four yeah. steps in my heart, but there's a lot of other potential ones out there. One is from George Mueller, who was a missionary in the 1800s. And, and he says, okay, I got these steps, but 90% of the solution occurs when you finally, finally walk to do God's will more than your own. In your heart, you just don't say with your mouth and your head, sure, I want to do God's will. I mean, you have to finally, finally want to do that. Yeah. So the four steps, which are pretty homogeneous in my process or what he put on mine in a practice, called it my secret weapon in business, even as a Christian, because most Christians didn't go through this somewhat painfully slow process to get to his will. And uh, But the first one, just consult your friend Jesus which means pray. I mean, and also he wants to be your friend. He says it in John 15, 15. So I said, well, heck, I mean, you know, the Lord of the universe wants to be my friend. So, and you know, my best friend, I mean, what is a friend? I mean, they love you. They listen to you. They want to help you. They want to help you. They're accountable. And he, he's got all those powers. So you stay praying until you get the answer, meaning you have to, continue to pray because you have to continue to get more and more objective and more about what he wants and less about what you want. The second one is getting, is gathering the facts, uh, due diligence process that all of us as business people have done. And so that's pretty routine. You can do a pro con list, but two, two points there are one, one is we often think our opinion is a fact. So in this objectivity of prayer, you're trying to learn that your opinions are not necessarily a fact. I'm embarrassed how often I think my opinions are facts. So that's a revelation of what he starts doing for you as you pray. And the other one is since you have a preference of what, what you want, you start elevating when you hear a fact that supports what you want, you elevate it. And when you hear a fact that doesn't support what you want, you tend to try to dismiss it. Well, if you're praying for objectivity and for his will, you have to start weighting those evenly. And so that's another important part of gathering the facts. Uh, Jesus, by the way, in the Garden of Gethsemane, said he had a preference. He did not want to go to the cross for all humankind for their sins. But he immediately said, which I'm not capable of, but your will, God, not mine. So the next step is called watching for circumstances because you know those can have quite an impact on the timing the ultimate facts you know what's happening around you and so i kind of i kind of hold on to uh, psalm 37 4 that says delight in the lord and i'll give you the desires of your heart well if you're if you're trying to truly truly do his will i say that is what that verse says delight in the lord so he will give you the desires of your heart the problem is we often don't know what the desires of our heart are. 
and we know what's what we want in our head, but the best thing for us is what's in our heart. So just keep watching. He'll reveal because you're trying, he will reveal which circumstances are critical to you. And then the last step, which you have to get to before he will reveal his will, because otherwise you're still hanging on to your own. And so when you finally, finally want his will more than your own, and it's usually jumping off the cliff because he wants you to grow. So it's usually something that you really don't want to do emotionally. But when you finally are willing to get to that point, he'll reveal it in, in a way in your gut, in my gut, that's all convincing, all convicting. It's just a piece that you know you've gotten this physical answer and not this theological answer, this great spiritual awakening answer. He gives gives me a piece in my gut, and I've got, you know, got to hear a lot of other people feel the same. And so then that's it. And then if there is a fifth step, it's to don't go through all that pain and time and energy and then not jump off the cliff. Finish. Finish. So do the work. And I think one of the terms, and you've kind of alluded to it really almost through all the steps, but you use a term a lot that I, that we, Jeff and I talked about earlier uh, before it started called, called get neutral. Yeah. How do you think about that phrase kind of imbuing this whole process? Well, I'm glad you mentioned it. That is the name of the fourth step, and that is the vital part of the book. Uh, the Probably the main reason I wrote the book, it was try to help people understand getting neutral and, and wanting basically surrendering it's being obedient it's um it's dying to self which people go what is that i mean you're finally finally wanting his will more than your own and he and i call he gave me this phrase that i coined way back you know probably 25 years ago of getting neutral and it's just kind of opening your hands saying he knows best and am i really willing to do his will and uh rather than me saying I want to surrender or, or, or some people have really enjoyed tagging that phrase because it's not a religious phrase. Oh, yeah. It's a theological phrase. It's something they can kind of relate to. There's just something powerful about it. I, 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 don't, I don't know exactly where it comes from either. I don't, I'm not smart enough to figure that out. It doesn't matter. All I know is, you know, like when I'm trying to pray about something, what it did would kind of remind me that, uh-oh, I'm usually, even after trying to do it all myself and God saying, no, you need to do it my way, even in the, that new phase of trying to do it his way, I realize I'm kind of praying for my bias. Yes, right. And I, I, I mean, to a certain extent, he, I mean, he knows that and all those kind of things. But if you can get to that, it is an encouragement to me to get to a more mature place where I believe what's best for me is what you want, God. And that might not be the thing is the first thing in my brain. So I, I, there's a, I don't know, it's some sort of encouragement to release it. How, how might you restate that? Well, I, you know, it's uh, what I will say is when you get to that point and you do what you have been convinced that is his will, you have complete peace because you never look back. Yeah. You just never look back. You know, you're on his path. And he will make good out of it one way or the other. He just will. He, it, it will be best. It will be in your best interest for it's over with. Well, and one of the things I like when you tell this is th these are not necessarily linear. 
Right. Yeah. So, you know, let, let's say I, I'm trying to make a decision and frankly, I haven't sort of flushed all my bias out of my uh, prayer about it. And I'm looking at the facts. I'm probably a little biased in the facts I'm collecting. I'm looking at the circumstances. I've probably shifted them. And then I just don't have peace. Right. I can't make the decision before I have peace. And I'm like, gosh, there's something wrong. So wouldn't you say, you, you kind of go, hey, well, maybe go back up to the top and try to start over. Yeah. I mean, how do you talk about this not being? Uh, no, you're exactly right. You just got to get there. And then if you, if, if you run out of time, right, there's usually a timetable on some of this yeah. stuff. You, uh, if you can't get peace, then I don't think you're supposed to do it. Don't do it. No, because he's big enough. You know, I used to tell one of my board members, you know, I, you know, I'm trying to listen to what the Lord wants, but he said, well, you praying for it? I said, oh, yeah, I'm praying for it. He said, uh, but, you know, I'm kind of, he said, well, that's pretty arrogant of you to think you can stop God Almighty from revealing his will to you uh, that if you really are praying for his yeah. will to know it, that you you think you can actually stop God Almighty from telling us, well, no, I'm talking about me being a sinner weak. He said, no, I'm talking. He says, no, I'm talking about you think you can prevent him from telling you. I said, you know, but his, but the whole point is you have to get to where you really want his will because he won't really tell you until you have prayed enough to say, I'm yours. You know, I, I'm yours on this issue. Now, we're all sinners and whatever, but I'm finally, finally, finally yours on this issue. Not on a lot of others, but yet, but this issue. Well, I think there's an acknowledgement in there that, you know, he's not on our time frame either. No. Right? That's part of what you were saying. Jeff, what were you saying? So, yeah, I've just been struck recently watching The Chosen. I don't know, Terry, if you tapped into The Chosen yeah. at all, but just watching how much, how hard it was for the Pharisees to get neutral with Jesus yeah. uh, because of all the preconceptions. And, I, and Terry, I'd love for you to comment a little bit about in today's world of everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's got a strong opinion. Um, how does that, how do you see that relating to today's world of conflict and, you know, coming at it? It's amazingly real. And, uh, you know, I try to walk into a meeting with my hands, so to speak, open because who knows what the Lord has in store. I, uh, it's a journey for all of us. You know, I, I talk about the goal, the goals of, um, and not having metric goals, you know, Jesus didn't, I don't think he had any metric goals, and I don't think his disciples did, and yet they, they had some pretty good results, best I could. Great point. I mean, they That's a great point. Where was Jesus' spreadsheet? We should write that book, Terry. Where was Jesus' spreadsheet? And, and, and anywhere else in the Bible, there is no goals mentioned. You know what? You're right. Planning, planning, you yeah. know. In values, I mean, in margin, there was always margin. Jesus right. isn't running around like a chicken with his head cut off. No, no, there's, there's, I mean, so, I mean, I've got goals around values. You know what I mean? Yeah, we, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, you, 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 we need that. But it's, there's just, uh, there, I don't think, you know, a friend of mine in ministry, he's now doesn't have any metric goals and his board is, he's CEO of the ministry and his board's a little, you know, Western. Right, <laughs> you're right. Success, successful. Western. That's a that's a that's a nice way to say it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this I think all these goals came from the Western. Yeah, no, you're not world. wrong. But he says, "Hey, 
Terry, there there is no goals in the Bible. Right. Now they they have a lot of great things of what we need to be doing as right. a leader. But uh of values, principles, mission, uh, vision, I mean planning, all of those. Planning and all those things. Yeah. And uh so yeah, so it's so I, I've stole his tagline. I think that's a pretty good one. I like it. I like it. Well, as we wrap up here, Terry, you know, the way we think about this podcast as we talked about uh offline before we started recording was it's all kind of like uh, you, me, and Jeff are having lunch, and and uh, we're just recording the conversation. Our friends are hopefully blessed to listen to it, and so we're just a bunch of business owners talking to other business owners who are kind of on this same journey. But let's say there's somebody a little behind you on this path, and uh, they're just thinking, "Well, gosh, I don't have a six billion dollar company or whatever." A little like the lady you talked about earlier, but you know, maybe there's something they can do tomorrow. Uh, to kind of just move a little bit closer to this direction that you're talking about. Is there some kind of practical tip you might leave them with? You know, we've said it in all kinds of ways. You finally have to decide who's the best, him or you. Do you trust him or not? I mean, you, and then he'll reveal all kind of practical tips. You know, I mean, one of my best practical tips in the in the book Sacred Pace is, is not really or, oriented around generosity, but it's wait till tomorrow before you give someone an answer. Mm. Because in my case, my pride or my people pleasing comes out and I want to say yes. And But tomorrow, either I can get some advice from my wife or I can look at my calendar or I can look at my purpose statement and, and say, you know, I don't need to be doing that. But uh, I also say to a business person, that if you're fortunate enough to have joy in your giving, and I've been blessed with the uh, joy of giving a, a large percentage of my income away, but the percentage is a, the issue is if you can get to where you have joy in giving away whatever percentage you give and potentially try to increase that over time, you will be a better businessman. I'm totally convinced I'm a better businessman because I no longer uh, not won't take any risk and I won't swing for the crazy fence because I want to make all this money. You start having a practical wisdom around money when you have the joy of giving. And if, if you haven't reached to have joy, I would suggest you pray for that. And w one way, if, if you haven't even g given much money, percentage-wise, is give to where you've been fed, give to where you've been helped uh, for your children or something, because there's joy there, because you're helping them do more of what they have served you and helped you to enjoy and, and, and been helped by. So that's a little practical tip to help you start your joy journey, And because uh, I see so many people give to church that because they're supposed to. You know, it's a duty. Well, you know, find ways to find joy. And I'm telling you, you'll become a better businessman. The greed will soften when you make bad decisions. And the fear will soften when you're tr maybe going to make some bad decisions. I love that. Actually, I think both of those are really good, which is wait maybe 24 hours or sleep right. on an answer right. to something. Right. I don't think, I think that goes with your whole theme of, kind of slow sacred pace. I mean, yeah. pace is a time word, you know, so slow it down a little bit, 
And then also, we do get this question. I'm actually on a panel at Kingdom Advisors uh, uh, coming up, talking about where to give. How do you decide where to give? And that'll give to where you've been fed. I love that. I think that start there if you're not sure where to start. I love that as a place to start. So let's wrap it there. Terry, can't thank you enough for being on the podcast today. Thank both of y'all. Thank y'all for doing this too, to help others. And uh, Jeff Rutt, thanks again for co-hosting today. Thank you. Terry, thank you for the way that you've been so generous just with your resources, with your time, and with your wisdom, and here today with uh, some great pieces of advice. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you, Jeff. And with that, thanks everybody for listening, and we'll uh, see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Generous Business Owner Podcast with Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt. Make sure to follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode. You can find the guest contact information in the show notes. Stay tuned for the next episode.